Have you ever taken a look at your habits, your happiness, your relationships, or your health and thought, there's got to be a better way to do this? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. And I'm Emily Phillips. The one and only. Emily, you joined for the bonus episode last season when I was sick. Right now, Ben's super busy and you came to the rescue to talk about today's bonus episode with me. So I'm really happy to have you down here in the studio. Well, I am happy to be here. And I must say it is nice and cool down here in the studio. Not true of our generally sweltering office. Oh yeah, it's gearing up to be a really hot summer, which actually is the perfect time for lots of stuff. Like... Do you ever just, I don't know, leave your place and go for a walk and space out, let your mind wander? Or do you let yourself get really engrossed in a good TV show? I mean, yes, totally. I do all these things. Um, recently been sitting on my balcony and just staring at the flowers. Oh, okay. So some of that's technically wasting time for our guest, Alan Lightman. He is a physicist, a writer for places you've definitely read, like New York Times, The Guardian, The Atlantic. And he's author of this smash book, Einstein's Dreams, which has been turned into a play and translated into like a zillion different languages. And now he's come back with a book called In Praise of Wasting Time that assures you that you've been wasting time perfectly well. And it's okay. It's good even. Wait, tell me more about this. I want to feel virtuous for laying in the grass or staring at my flowers. (laughs) Well, it's more than virtuous. It's essential. So for creativity, for establishing a solid sense of self, for problem solving, for your sanity, really. In this bonus episode of Simplify, Alan Lightman talks about all of this stuff. Cool. Well, can we jump right in? Because I want to hear more about this. Yes, let's do it. And stick around. Emily and I will be back in the bookend where we'll recap what Alan and I talked about in the interview and create a book list that'll help you waste time well and guilt-free. Catch you then. Hi, Alan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Could you please introduce yourself? I'm Alan Lightman, and I live in Concord, Massachusetts. How would you describe the work that you do? Well, I do a number of things. I teach at MIT. I used to be a physicist. Uh, For many years, I did research in physics. I now teach humanities courses at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, or MIT. Uh, I also write essays, articles, books, novels. And the last thing I do is I founded a nonprofit organization that works to empower women in Southeast Asia. So we're going to talk today about your most recent publication. It's called In Praise of Wasting Time. The central idea here is that it's a little time wasting is positive, if not crucial for creativity, effectiveness, wholeness as a person. Can you tell me about your journey to to getting to this idea? I've always been a hyper well-organized person to a fault and have always tried to use my time in the most effective manner. I'm able to fit each vacant area of time to some task. And I began realizing maybe about 10 or 15 years ago that that I was not allowing myself any time for just reflection and contemplation, that I was feeling pressured all the time, feeling driven all the time. I have led a pretty driven life and uh, I began worrying about what I was losing and having that kind of lifestyle. So that's what got me started. Do you remember, um, was there a specific event that drove you to start exploring changing what your behaviors were? Well, that's a good question. I think there might have been a moment some years ago. My wife is a painter, and we've been married for 40 years. 
And there might have been a moment where she was rushing to go in one direction of the house and I was rushing to go in another direction of the house. And she just grabbed my shoulders and said, let's just stop for a moment and look into each other's eyes. And that may sound like a sentimental and trivial thing, but I think even with our intimate partners, sometimes we are just rushing around checking off our to-do lists uh, every minute of the day. And when she stopped me and held my shoulders, I realized that we had to make a change, that I had to make a change in my lifestyle. Wow. So that is, that's actually a really significant moment. Um, how did you start making those changes? What changed for you directly after that? Well, one thing that we do is we turn off all of our devices during dinner. And another thing is that uh, I'm making time in my day to just take quiet walks. Uh, I don't carry my smartphone with me most of the time. In fact, most of the time I keep it turned off and in a drawer of my desk. Uh, another thing that my wife and I have done, which we acknowledge requires a lot of privilege and not everyone can do this, but in the summertime, we retreat to an island in Maine, off the coast of Maine, and we spend several months there. And we basically unplug from the wired world at that time. Again, not everybody can do that, but I, I do think that everybody can find quiet times of the day or create quiet times of the day without their smartphones, without their devices. Yeah. You mentioned walking. When you go for walks, do you, do you purposely try to clear your mind or are you working on problems as you're walking? No, I try to leave my mind vacant. There are thoughts that occur, but I try to let my mind wander. I know that the composer Gustav Mahler used to take three-hour walks in the afternoon after lunch, and some of his musical ideas would come to him then, but he would just let his mind wander. And I think it's very important for not only the creative mind, but just for the replenishment of the mind to, to have periods of time that are completely unstructured. And if ideas come during that time or thoughts, that's, that's wonderful. But there should not be any goal for that time away from the, the grid. So it's a, it's a goalless time, which I guess some people could, could interpret as wasting time. So then that isn't wasting time too clearly. What, what is the definition of wasting time? Well, my definition of wasting time is any time spent that's unstructured and without a goal. Mm -hmm. So so going to lunch with a friend could be wasting time under that definition, unless you're going to lunch because you want to talk your friend into loaning you $1,000 or something like that. So it's unstructured time without a goal. And brain research has actually shown that, that when you have such unstructured time, that there are actually different areas of the brain that are activated and other areas of the brain are deactivated. And creative thought occurs in that part of the brain that is called the default mode when, when you're not trying to accomplish anything. 
one of the most important values of, of wasting time for me and defined in the, in the sense which I've just done is that it's a time that we can consolidate our self-identity. And by that, I mean, we can think about who we are and what's important to us, our values and where we want to be in the future. Uh, we don't do that in any organized way, but we recall things in the past that we've done, maybe some that we're proud of, some that we regret, people that we've known, uh, things that we've done, and all of that is part of consolidating our sense of self. And you really do need quiet time, reflective time to do that. And one of the dangers that I see in the frantic pace of the modern world in which we're all looking at our iPhone, our smartphones every three or four minutes and plugged in to the grid all the time is that we don't give ourselves that quiet time in which we can think about who we are. Mm. How much do you blame technology for us losing pieces of who we are? That's a wonderful question. And I think technology has abetted and enabled us to live the frantic, plugged-in life that we do, but I don't think that we can blame technology. Technology by itself does not have values. It does not have a mind. Uh, it can be used for good, and it can be used for ill, and it's how we human beings use the technology that determines its value. So we, we have to use technology more thoughtfully and not just immediately buy the next smartphone that works three times faster than the previous model. We should think about how we're using technology, which is uh, really a habit of mind. In general, think about our, our lifestyle. You know, it strikes me that actually technology, and one of the primary ways in which we fritter time away with technology, is social media, like blogs, like Twitter, like Instagram. And they can be used as ways to consolidate who we are, or at least to express it. We can build whole whole temples to self, whole narratives about who we are. Then is that maybe, is it a less, is it a less honest way of being who we are than, say, taking a walk in the woods is? Well, I would say that it's, it's lesser in the sense that it's mediated. It's, it's sort of the difference between going outside and looking at a tree versus taking a uh, a photograph of the tree with your smartphone and then studying a digital image of the tree. I think that the hyper-connectedness that we have that, that has been enabled by social media gives us an illusion of intimacy, but I don't think it's real intimacy uh, because we can pretend, we can, we can create false identities, avatars, and so on, and social media, where it's harder to pretend when you are face-to-face -face with someone. I, I don't think that anything is going to replace face-to-face -face contact. I wanted to switch tracks just a little bit, actually. One of the things that really struck me in the book was the relationship between play and procrastination and problem-solving. Could you speak a little bit about how you found that those first two things, play and procrastination, facilitate that third one? Well, studies have, have been done showing that when we are just playing 
if a problem has been seated in our mind before the play begins or before the procrastination begins, that the unconscious mind is at work attempting to solve the problem. And numerous studies have been shown that, that people are better at problem solving if they have a period of play or procrastination after the problem has been introduced to them, but before they need to come up with the answer. Uh, they come up with better answers if they've had that intermediate period of play and procrastination. And we, we also know that a child psychologist and sociologist who study the play of children is that children, when they're left to their own devices without any instruction, or without any rules, uh, without any adult authority, will find novel ways to solve problems. They, they, will, they will make tools and toys out of unusual objects that were not necessarily designed for those tools and toys, but the, ch the children will find ways to redesign them or reconceive them. And so I think that play, which really is the unstructured activity for entertainment, you might call it that, has been shown to be very valuable as a means to creativity and problem solving. And it all gets down to the unconscious mind. Uh, we, we know that the conscious mind is only a, a small fraction of the neuronal activity, the activity in the brain, which is, uh, to me, is somewhat frightening proposition. Uh, <laughs> right. It's the, like looking out at space. Yes. I, I think that I've made a decision, but really it's my unconscious mind that decided that 10 seconds earlier before I was aware of it. Uh, experiments have shown that. But the, the positive side of that is that when you give your yourself license to play, when you give yourself license to goof off, to just take walks in the country or just sit quietly in a room, that you are giving space for your unconscious mind to do all kinds of things, uh, to think about who you are, to remember things, to ponder problems, to make decisions, or simply to replenish itself. Do you make time for play for yourself? I try to. How do you do it? Well, I, I consider any activity where, where I'm not trying to accomplish something as, as play. I, I read, I take walks, I have grandchildren that I roll around on the floor with and try to get into their world, uh, which is a mm -hmm. world of play. In the summertime, I go out in a boat uh, on the ocean. I play tennis occasionally. Go going out to, for dinner with friends, that's, to me, that's a form of play. It's, it's entertaining, it's relaxing. Uh, you're not trying to accomplish anything. So those are some of the things that I do. You know, it occurs to me that this is probably intentional, but you just gave the same definition to play that you did to wasting time. Well, there might be a slight difference. I think wasting time and play and my definition are very similar, but, but I usually think of play as something where you are doing something for entertainment value. I mean, not everybody may agree with that understanding of play, but... Uh, I don't require entertainment when I am wasting time. Uh, I just require that I have no structure and no 
uh, intentions, no goals. Hey, this is Ben Jackson, audio editor on this episode. I wanted to let you know about an episode from season one of Simplify with Gretchen Rubin, author of The Happiness Project. She talks with Caitlin about habits, self-acceptance, and also play and what we can learn from what we do for fun. So it's really about starting by thinking about yourself, know yourself, which is very, very hard to do. It's like the great task of our lives is to know ourselves. How can I do the things that I need to do to get the life that I want? And what is the life that I want? I'm always looking for little questions that you can ask yourself that give you sort of a sidelong glance into your nature. So if you're trying to think about like maybe how you could have more fun out of life or how to make a career switch that would be more satisfying, one question is, what did you do for fun when you were 10 years old? Because what you did for fun when you were 10 years old probably is something that you would enjoy as an adult in an adult form either in work or play. So if you like to make things with your hands or you like to take photographs or you like to walk in the woods with your dog or you like to bike. So that's a good, that's a helpful question. So that was Gretchen Rubin. To check out the rest of that conversation, subscribe to Simplify in your favorite podcast app. Back to our interview with Alan Lightman. I also wanted to ask you about getting stuck. You say scientists are also happy when they become stuck, when they discover interesting questions that they cannot answer, because that is when their imaginations and creativity are set on fire. That is when the greatest progress occurs. I really liked that because I think getting stuck is something that that makes a lot of people panic. Um, but you make a case for how getting stuck is actually actually a really good sign. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Well, uh, some years ago, I did a study of, of great scientific discoveries made in the 20th century, and I looked at the discovery process, and I found that, that in many cases, the scientists were stuck on a problem before the new insight occurred. And I began to realize uh, that, that getting stuck is often part of the creative process, because when we are stuck, our unconscious mind begins trying lots and lots of solutions. And it's, it's really unfortunate that many of us, and especially our, our young people and our students, feel that when they've gotten stuck on a problem that, that they have failed. And I would just suggest to them that getting stuck is often a good thing. Uh, it's happened in some of the greatest discoveries ever made. And when you get stuck, you should just stay calm, relax, and realize that your unconscious mind is, is trying out different solutions to the problem. Now, you do have to have a prepared mind for this creative process to happen. That is, before you're stuck, you need to, have, to know what the problem is you're trying to solve, and you need to have done your homework and learning the, the skills and techniques needed to solve the problem. But then getting stuck is is a welcome part of the creative process. And I myself, both as a writer and as a scientist, have been stuck many times. And it often is a period that comes just before I have some wonderful new insight in solving the problem. That calm before the storm. That calm before the storm. So uh, I think that it's a very exciting moment when we're stuck because... We're working on a problem that we think has meaning and has significance, and there's something mysterious about it. Uh, we, we believe there's a solution, 
a solution to the problem. We haven't yet found it. And it's exciting to be on the cusp of discovery. Yeah, that is an exciting moment. I really love that feeling. So then your process for for getting through those stuck moments is just sort of waiting it out and remaining calm. Waiting it out, remaining calm. You know, you you might take a walk, but the main thing is not to panic. And uh, I hope that our our young people can learn that lesson. And I hope that their teachers can give them space to be stuck and not make them feel that they have failed or that they've only got 10 minutes to solve the problem, but, but honor that part of the creative process. Yeah. I imagine a school or a classroom in which your teacher says to you, ah, oh, well, this is a really exciting place to be, actually. Why don't you give it 10 minutes? Why don't you yeah. go walk around the hallway for a minute yeah. and come back? That would be such a different kind of place. It, it so would be. It would be. Yeah. Are, so getting stuck in procrastination, though, they're not the same things, right? No, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, my, my definition of procrastination is, is you know how to do something, but you just put it off. Uh, I, li- I like the definition. You know how to do it, but you're putting it off versus getting stuck is you want to do it, but you don't know how. Yes, I would say that that's the distinction. All of these these issues that we've been talking about are related to unplugging from the grid. And they all require in some way or another that we separate ourselves for a time from the noise and the rush of the wired world. You know, it strikes me that this is a thing that more and more people are discovering they need, because if you look at this mindfulness craze mm-hmm. that is, is hitting Western society, it seems like people are beginning to understand that they really do need to unplug. They really do need to listen to themselves, and they need solitude. Actually, you have a whole section in In Praise of Wasting Time in which you, you talk about solitude and why it's healthy. Um, but most people don't feel that way about it. What what has happened to us and our ability to be alone with ourselves? Well, we've gotten hab- habituated to getting constant external stimulation. And I know that there were some researchers, there was a collaboration between the University of Virginia and Harvard University in the U.S. Uh, some sociologists and psychologists did an experiment with some uh, university students to find out whether they could sit in a room for 10 minutes by themselves without external stimulation. And they found that that most of the young people could not do that. Is that the study in which people actually chose to shock themselves rather yes. than sit there? By, oh my God, I read that and I, I kind of couldn't believe it. It was something like 75% of male students and I think 24, 25% of female students decided they would rather shock themselves than sit in that chair for 12 minutes and do nothing. Yes. That's unbelievable to me. It is unbelievable. And so sort of me- metaphorical that we'd, we'd rather have a, a painful external stimulation than no stimulation at all. But we can, you can get addicted to anything. And we've gotten addicted to this. If you, if you look at, at the people that you know who have smartphones, and of course, that's almost everybody today, just observe how often they look at their phones. And get on a, a, a subway car or a bus and, and observe how many people are looking at their smartphones. Or get on an airplane where you're forced to turn off your smartphone during the flight. As soon as the plane touches down, look around you and see how many people immediately pull their smartphones out and get online. Right. That's an addiction. 
and uh, how do you go about breaking an addiction? You have to become aware that you're addicted, first of all. I think that's step number one, awareness. And I think being aware that you're addicted and then thinking about what you have lost uh, by being addicted. I mean, we've been talking this conversation. We've lost quiet time. We've lost time for reflection. We've lost time for creativity. We've lost time for consolidation of our self-identity. You have to think about what you've lost. You've also lost control because one of the definitions of addiction, I think, is that you, you don't have control. So I think those are some of the steps that need to be taken. So I just want to make clear to sum up, your book is called In Praise of Wasting Time. The kind of time that you're actually talking about is solitude time. It's time allowing yourself time to get stuck. It's procrastination time. And it's things like taking walks. But the real waste of time seems to be the frittering of time that we do on the internet. Well, I don't think that all of that is wasted time. And, you know, I, as we were saying earlier, I think that some of social media is positive. Communication with loved ones far away is positive. But we need to be more thoughtful about how we are using the Internet. Ellen, if you could tell people one thing about using their own time in a thoughtful way, if you could just leave people with the thought about how to use their time a little bit better or in a way that would better serve them as human beings, what would that be? One thing. I suppose another way to look at it is, what was the urgency of this book? Well, there's a negative way of answering that and a positive way. Okay. And the negative way is that we have become prisoners of the wired world. Mm. And we have become addicted to constant external stimulation. And the positive message is that Spending time without goals and without structure is valuable for creativity, it's valuable for replenishing our minds, and it's valuable for consolidating our self-identity and thinking about who we are and what our values are. Uh, before we wrap up, I just I wanted to ask you, what have you read lately that you've liked? We always talk about books on, on Simplify, and I love to hear what our authors that we speak to have been reading and enjoyed lately. Well, I'm reading a novel by Jennifer Egan on, uh, I think it's called a Manhattan Beach. It's her latest novel. I am also reading a book on Buddhist thought. It's called The Essentials of Tibetan Buddhism. What got you interested in that? Well, the, the Buddhists have, for thousands of years have been very good at understanding the importance of being in the moment and being present in the moment. And you mentioned mindfulness earlier, which just mindfulness is one word for that, of being present. And it's closely related to what we've been talking about. So I've also recently reread Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway. Oh, it's so uh, good. Which is just a fabulous book. And and she talks about time in her book there, but one of the, the first modern writers to write in the stream of consciousness mode and to let us know really what are the thoughts going through a, a character's head as they react to events around them and remembered events and just uh, 
a landmark book in, in so many ways. So many ways. Yeah, that's a great one. I actually, when it, last time I was home, I discovered that I had her book of collected essays and I brought it back with me and I haven't gotten yes. to it yet. I've got an ever increasing pile of, of reading on my, on my nightstand, but, um, uh, a I room of one's own. Is oh, it not so good? That's one collection yeah. of essays, which is really magnificent. And I think in some ways is part of the, the recent awareness of the importance of gender equality and giving women their due position in the world. And Virginia Woolf was certainly one of the pioneers in, in the movement that we're seeing today. Right. And, you know, I think that, that A Room of One's Own actually even relates to what we've just been talking about. She talks about A Room of One's Own, not not just, it's not just a room, it's it's the space and it's the, the time mm-hmm. to have the freedom to to ponder and to be with oneself and to create an identity and, and to create the things that that identity can uniquely create when it is left on its own to be creative. Absolutely. It speaks directly to what we've been talking about. Yeah. Oh. Of course, that was the 1930s or whenever it was that she wrote that. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but long before the internet, but there was still a lot of noise and hustle and bustle in the world of a different kind. I mean, way back in the 1800s, Henry David Thoreau wrote that that we don't ride the railroad, the railroad rides us. So even when you go back in history, you find that the same problem occurs with, with new technologies. If we don't use them wisely, we become their prisoner. Mm-hmm. The idea of a railroad riding us is kind of alarming to me, I have to admit, but <laughs> but maybe it should be. <laughs> maybe that's a better metaphor for, maybe that's the thing that yes. will nudge us into taking care of our minds rather than attending to our tech. It, it might be. It might be. Okay, Alan, that's all I've got for now. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It's been a pleasure. Caitlin, thank you so much. Uh, you're you're an excellent conversationalist, and uh, thank you for, for letting me be on your program. Welcome to The Bookend, where we end with books. So we just heard Alan Lightman give us lots of good reasons to feel good about wasting time. I mean, I feel pretty great about that. Caitlin, what was it that made you want to speak with him in the first place? Well, for a few years now, I've been noticing that a topic of conversation that keeps coming up with people from many different ages and walks of life, from former professors of mine to young people I speak with in shops, is the sense that we're all way too busy. So when I saw the title of Lightman's book, I grabbed it right away and found myself going, yes, yes, more people need to hear about this as I read. Yeah. So what is the one thing that really stuck out to you from this interview? Well, the thing that struck me is this idea of getting stuck and how it's actually super useful. It's this moment of stuckness that usually signals you're working on a breakthrough or a really interesting problem and you just need to be patient with it. Although I do think like sometimes there is a fine line that distinguishes I'm letting this thought marinate while I move on to something else, and I'm procrastinating. (laughs) And sometimes these breakthroughs, like I think we both alluded to, come under great pressure. Mm -hmm. So where you're really waiting until the last moment Mm -hmm. to get things done. And that can be extremely discomforting as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, Lightman also said that everybody procrastinates. Even he does. And that's that's totally okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, for me, if I ever have a deadline for something or a project that I just feel like I'm not moving forward on, then I often will take a break to do something that I enjoy and that is tangible. So whether it's baking, 
um, or reading something. And there's actually, this is a phenomenon you can look up. Look up hashtag procrastibake. <laughs> and there's a whole underworld of people who are baking while they procrastinate. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I guess that's how we get the gift of your rhubarb cardamom cake, yeah? Yeah, awesome. that's definitely part of it. <laughs> so did you pick some books to go along with this topic? I did. Do you want to go first then? You're the guest after all. Gladly. Thank you. So my choice might come across as a bit unorthodox. Mm. But what I was struck with in this interview were two things in particular, um, namely the importance of play. And as Alan mentions, um, children's innate aptitude for playing in particular. And in addition to this, uh, the second thing would be spending time in nature. So keeping these two ideas Together, Children and Play and Nature, the title I want to suggest combines these two, and it's called How to Raise a Wild Child by Scott D. Sampson. (laughs) Sounds exciting. Tell me more. So this is a parenting book, and of course, not all of our listeners are parents. Um, But I would wager that the struggles that today's families face are not only located in families. So conflicts about screen time. Um, people who feel like they're losing their focus or that you're more cooped up in your house than usual, and also this pressure to rigorously structure your day. Um, So these aren't just issues for family. They can be relevant to many people. So Alan had brought up how hard it is to unplug. Many of us are becoming addicted to our devices. Um, I can certainly relate to this. Anyway, How to Raise a Wild Child suggests some very down-to-earth ideas, about staying connected with the outdoors and nature and really trying to rekindle a person's curiosity and love for our Mother Earth. And, you know, we can't all pull a Henry David Thoreau and just run away into the woods for a couple of years. Um, Nor can we, like our friend Alan, live the dream on an island in Maine. But, you know, we can keep houseplants or we can take an evening walk or we could even use our screen time to watch a nature documentary. So check out How to Raise a Wild Child by Scott D. Sampson. Cool. Okay, so my first book is Leisure by Joseph Pieper. So today, almost all of us consider long work weeks totally normal. Meanwhile, the mere concept of leisure has gotten a bad rap. It's almost synonymous with laziness, right? But it hasn't always been this way. This mindset came to be pretty recently, actually, just after the World Wars when populations had to scramble to rebuild. Since then, this total work ethic, where weekends and vacations are seen as recovery days so that we can get back to our working lives, our real lives, has persisted, and it's led to a serious decrease in leisure time. We now work so much that we have not that much time to observe and contemplate life. We feel lazy when we're not working and guilty when we take time out to enrich our lives, and it really sucks. We really need to rethink our approach to leisure. And leisure, or leisure, I never know how to say that word, um, by (laughs) Joseph Pieper, makes a really great case for exactly this. Leisure, leisure. Leisure just sounds so much more luxurious. Yeah, leisure does sound more luxurious. So we'll go with leisure. (laughs) Cool. All right. So then um, that's Leisure by Joseph Pieper. And I do think that this is something that a lot of us can relate to uh, and starting to sort of reframe this idea as actually something that is worth your while and valuable and not something to feel bad about. No, I think that lately it's come up in culture more in terms of of this term self-care. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, that's one way that people think of it. But even that is putting a lot of pressure on using that time for something. Leisure, sure. leisure without the intent to really do anything but be mm-hmm. is so important. And it's something that I think we've really lost an aptitude for. And it took me moving to Europe to figure out how to even enjoy. Mm. She said... In a very gross, bougie way. But anyway, (laughs) let's move on to book number two. Yeah. It is about the internet. 
It's called The Shallows. It's by Nicholas Carr. And it was one of the earliest books, it's from 2010, to look Mm -hmm. at what the internet is doing to our brains. There's some history of technology in there, studies in psychology and neuroscience research to explain how the internet fundamentally rewires our neural circuitry and why yeah and why some of lightman's concern about the grid might be actually pretty valid so those are my picks wow thanks that about wraps it up thanks for listening to this episode of simplify it was produced by me caitlin schiller nat darushkina ben jackson and ben schumann stoller who is developing new theories of child psychology by exposing his son to hour-long loops of Mongolian throat singing interspersed with five seconds of Rammstein. You know, that sounds kind of disturbing, but I heard it's making his kid really good at math. So if you heard something that stuck with you on this episode, share it. Just sharing it with one person gets Simplify into the ears of somebody who might really appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks to everyone who's already subscribed. If you're not subscribed, do it. And our feed is where you'll find not one, not two, but three seasons of Simplify waiting for you expectantly. And hey, thanks to anyone who's given us a shout out, rating a review, whatever, on any of the podcatchers or Apple Podcast, Overcast, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, wherever you listen. It really helps. And we're really appreciative of that. So thanks. And we are also on Twitter. I'm at Caitlin Schiller. Ben's at Bisto, B-S-T-O. And Emily, you're? I'm at Phillips underscore E-M. Fantastic. And by the way, Simplify is made by the same people who bring you Blinkist. This is a place where Caitlin and I both work. Blinkist is a learning app. We take insights from the world's best-selling nonfiction books and condense them into these focused little capsules of knowledge that are available in audio or text and that you can listen to or read in just 15 minutes. And we made it easy to try it out, too. You can get 14 days of Blinkist for free if you go to Blinkist.com friends and type in the voucher code RELAX. Tap and relax, and then you'll get two weeks free. Indeed. Yeah. So is that it? Yeah, that's pretty much it. That wraps up season three for real for real now. Wow. But as I mentioned last episode around, we are not disappearing. We'll be popping up in your feed from time to time with a little author talk and other exciting things. Maybe you'll hear Emily back to tide you over until season four. So stay tuned. Say hi at podcast at Blinkist.com or on Twitter. And thanks so much for listening. We're glad to have you. This is Caitlin. And I'm Emily. Checking out. Checking out. Bye. Bye. Bye.